Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Matt Stedman's here. Uh, I am here. Hello, Cameron Smith. We've just Look, it keeps it keeps us fit. The the COVID era triple R studio change is a thing to the behold. Deal, it is it? a beautiful thing, and I saw your wonderful Kleenex work that you were just doing before. And may I say, I admire it so well. Yes. No, we're keeping we're keeping cool. We're keeping safe. We're keeping clean here in Three Triple R FM. Eat it is the name of the show. Thank you too, all those scientists, and of course the morning shows. Yes. And have we got a show for you. We're going all over the place today. We really are. Yep, we are literally going all over the place. We'll tell you about it soon. Uh, I'm happy to say that I am caffeinated, although disappointed. We had a little bit of an accident <sighs> in the kitchen. God. So Cam uh, thoughtfully, as he often does, brought in some little little, little elevensies, some, some pastries yeah. for elevensies, but... Croissant, almond croissant. But didn't notice that the oven was set to 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 be for burn to the fire of Hades temperatures. Fire of Hades. And so, uh, so would you like this piece of carbon? R.I.P. With butter sort of coming out of it. Our almond croissant. We barely knew you. But the muffin was nice. Thanks, the muffin was good. Anyway, so that was uh, that's what's been happening here. Big news, folks. Uh, if you've just woken up from a trance, if you've been out, if you've been on a Drug-fueled binge for too long, and you've just come to Matt. You have news from uh, Dan Andrews. Yes. So, uh, look, most Australians have been glued to the press conference. It's probably not well, most Victorians. Victorians, are probably the, not. People, people in Cairns don't really care. Couldn't give a rat's. Uh, no, but the good news for hospitality is the restrictions are easing once again. Yes. Um, and I can't recall the date because I only heard it on my way, and I didn't make any notes. But very soon. Uh, caps on hospitality will uh, ease significantly. So no uh, cap on patron numbers anymore, and it'll just be one to two, two square, square metres that's right. yes. for um, places with over 25 people, which mean, effectively means HOSPO can get back to, in inverted commas, normal. Um, Sorry. I know, but it's funny. Normal. We were, we were just discussing before the show. Normal, just where are the staff? I went back to one of my favourite pubs, which I won't name, uh, last week. and the food Somewhere was, in the southeastern suburbs, I might just to narrow it down. And the food was amazing, but you could tell that the staff tar- turnover has been extraordinary. So the, the service staff were... On I, their first day? Felt like they were on their Ever first day. Ever in hospitality? Which is not a complaint, but it shows you the challenges for people who run cafes yes. and for restaurants and for bars. Because as you said, Cam, uh, this whole industry is very reliant on 457 visa workers for better or for I worse. Actually, I think I used the word propped up. Yes. Um, and so as a lot of those workers have had to either go home or move industries or relocate yeah um, cuz they weren't supported by the government the challenge now is if you run one of those but how do you find how do you get people to serve people for, for, to be to be frank about it for the money they were paying yeah, yes. um, so it, as we've said it's the start of a very long road maybe back. we'll see counter meals in restaurants God, it's been a long time since I've had a counter meal. Yeah, counterattack in a restaurant because we haven't got waiting <laughs> stuff. I, you know, anyway, but um, no doubt this industry, which has had to uh, adapt, will adapt. Yeah, I think so. And uh, and uh, the, the great thing is that we can look back yes. and say, Jesus, we're good and aren't we 
lucky and fortunate to live in this this country mm-hmm. and this state where we were able to eradicate, well, pretty much eradicate today. Yeah, and, and pretty it'll be interesting because yeah. we were speaking um, earlier. It sort of brings into relief. So all of those temporary outdoor dining spaces that have been set up around the city. Yep. So you know, effectively, restaurants taking over car parks, and it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, where they're going to go now. So are they allowed to, to keep them? Are they How going long to... will they stay for? Exactly. Is it a permanent thing? Can we do uh, it every summer? Where do we put them if we take them apart? Exactly. So yeah. I think, I mean, these are all good questions to reckon with because it means we're yeah. getting back to something approaching. It means that we're not just locked in the house, not able to go outside. <laughs> yes. So praise Jesus, we've come a long way, but today, for sure. And yeah, agreed. But today the headline is a good day because obviously uh, it is. those capacity restrictions are easing again, which is good. Yeah, yeah, it is. So on today's show, we're going to be going up to, uh, I think, Bermagui to have a ah. chat to a man who grows organic oysters. Yeah. I laughed too when he told me that when I met him years ago. His name's Shane Buckley. Yes. Wop and Go Oysters. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, oysters. Yep. No chat of walrus and carpenters, but just the oysters and how to enjoy them. Yes. Uh, Sarah Guthrie speaks to us from the Grampian Estate Winery. I thought it might be nice to uh, talk about this area, the Grampians. Yeah. Uh, they've just uh, not renovated. Yeah, they've renovated this uh, uh, building from 1878 and they're able to offer um, an offering, I suppose, you mm-hmm. know, some uh, cafe food, shall we say. But. I just thought, as uh, as an area, yes. um, this is an area that you love, the Grampians. I do love it over there, yes. Um, great place for a view, great place to look at wineries, great place to go into a cave, especially yes. Great Western Winery. So uh, we're going to have a chat to her about that area. And then we have the redoubtable Duncan Buchanan, who no doubt is feeling the pain from these lack of exports that he's uh, he's feeling. Uh, direct to uh, Shanghai and Beijing. So we're going to speak to him how that affects him. Not often that the wine industry makes sort of mainstream news, but obviously it has in recent weeks because of the trade embargoes from China. Yes. What did I, what did I say to you before? Kill the chicken to scare the monkey. Ooh. Oh, Chinese proverb. Uh, we're living it now, folks. Um, we might uh, just... Go ahead and get on with the show. I had a couple of things I wanted to say. But Do you I want think- to just briefly chat about your chicken? I was quite interested in your chicken. <laughs> can you can you tell the listeners? <laughs> You're about indulging your chicken, me. Yeah. All right. Um, I went up to Detroit um, a few days ago, ostensibly to uh, Motor City, Victoria. Yeah, Motor City, Victoria, the uh, the great harbour city uh, that is Geelong. Um, to see my old buddy Sebastian Rayborn and Dervla. Yep. Dervla McGowan, who... And the gin, of course. Yes, who have taken over the old federal mill site, or one of them there, and they have just got their still in, and his name's Arnie. Arnie the still. Arnie the still. The Arnold Arnold Holstein from uh, uh, Lake Constance Mm. in Germany. Anyway, it's a beautiful thing, and I had a look at that, and um, Seb said, oh, come on, let's go to the cafe, and I'll buy you lunch. And I went... You won't be buying me lunch. Uh, I'll watch you. I'll uh, have a cup of coffee (laughs) because I had a date with Destiny. You had a date with some fried chicken. I had some date with some fried chicken. Um, The Hot Chicken Project. Aaron Turner was on the show because he has a book out called The Hot Chicken Project Book. Um, And I say to you that he probably makes the finest fried chicken in this country. Get out. So this is Hot Chicken yeah, right? and it's in Geelong. Oh, my God. It's in Little Mallop Street, which is the home of the hipster there. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had this uh, – a couple bits of chicken. 
Um, and uh, it hit the deck. You got to wait for it to cool down because it has a very. Oh yeah. But it's crispy and crunchy and and said some turnip greens with it and a and a and a sailor's grave down she goes beer. But um, then you decided that you know you didn't want to have to drive the Princess Highway to. Oh, and plus that's a good thing because you know we talk about flattening the curve and and fried chicken ain't everyday food by. <laughs> Like it's it, a sometimes food. Well, even once a month, my yeah. God, you know, it, and maybe that's what makes it so special. But if you don't want to jump on the M1 yeah. to get your fried chicken fix, you uh, you tried a facsimile. I did indeed, and it was reasonably successful where I got some uh, thighs, skin on, brined them. Skin on thighs. Skin on thighs, brine. Brine. Which is an idea which which adds more moisture and juice to the chicken. Which so is water with a bit of salt and sugar. One litre. Two tablespoons of salt, two yep. tablespoons of sugar. You can add flavouring to it. I put a little bit of allspice and, you just and a little bit your, of butter. Chuck your thighs in there. Well, place them gently because otherwise you get brine everywhere. You might get salt water in your eyes and you might you might weep. Um, but then uh, covered in the fridge for two hours. Bring two them out, hours. pat down, yep. and then I made a uh, a spicy flour sort of coating. Yeah, bit of chili, bit of uh, oregano, smoked paprika, paprika, onion powder. Very very important. Yes, that's a big one. Um, and just. Chucked it in the oven. So normally uh, you deep fry that, of course, but you did not. Uh-uh. Oven on. I don't, I don't own a deep fryer no. for a very specific reason <laughs> that um, I am trying to, you know, the curve, back to the curve. Anyway, put them in there for about, uh, it was about 30 minutes. Yeah. And it was pretty good. Crispy? It was pretty crispy. Nice. And it was, it was good. So, um, but if you ever do get down to Geelong, if you like fried chicken, <laughs> you got you got to do it. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. You've got to turn your mic on there, Cam. There we go. Chipla is the station you are on. <laughs> it's a well-oiled machine that we're Oh, running. my God. We've only been doing this for a couple of footy seasons now. We're still getting the hang of it. Um, using the uh, the magic and the power of the phone, we head up the coast, past the border, round the bend, and um, I think we're in Bermagui, are we not? Shane Buckley, do you read me? We are indeed, Cam. Good morning. Oh, God, it's working. This is awesome. Shane, I met you a couple... F- well, a little while ago now, and I remember, I think it was, uh, we can thank Jesse Gurner, restaurateur, for bringing us together, and there was a, a function at Anyada at uh, Gertrude Street, and uh, we might have been sharing, well, not sharing a cigarette, uh, but uh, we were having a ciggy and talking about stuff, and you said, I grow organic oysters, and I might have guffawed a bit. Yeah, just a little. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, mate. <laughs> Organic oysters. <laughs> Come on, pull the other one. Um, but it's true. You do because uh, you harvest oysters from uh, Wappingo Lake on the far south coast of New South Wales, north of Marimbula, and this area has been making uh, or harvesting oysters since the eighteen nineties. Yeah, around about then. Um the actual records aren't there, but it's pretty close to about 1890. Yeah, and then of course we, which is a long while. And we can see, was it um, was that an indigenous food before then as well? Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know? So, and then we can we can say that. Oh, yeah, and there've been oysters eaten there for probably about the last sixty thousand years. 
Yeah, roughly. Yeah, so you know these uh, the the whiteys, the Johnny Come Latelys have come there, but you bought the place, I think, in twenty oh seven, and uh, yeah. and then in a six year transition, you changed the way that the oysters were um, were grown and harvested, much to the betterment of the environment. Yeah, we. Uh, I said about uh, when I first took the farm on. Um, I could see that the way things were going weren't too really the way I, you know, had a, a, a belief of how things should be treated within the world and the environment and um, tried to revolutionise it somewhat into a farm that was way more sustainable and mm. in that became became uh, the first certified organic Sydney Rock Oyster Farm around. Yeah, because because I remember the, the the sort of the chat that we had all those uh, all that time ago, those summers ago, uh, was the fact that the woods that were um, that made up some of the frameworks for the uh, the oysters to grow were were covered in tar. Was 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 that right? Yeah, the the the, the sticks that they caught the oysters on back in the day, the they sticks, were yeah. yeah, they were hard wood. And then they were dipped in hot tar, oh. which, which preserved the wood yeah. from the marine borers that are in the water. And then the oysters caught on that, and then they grew them out on, and knocked them off the sticks and culled them apart. Mm. And um, obviously, you know, in that process, there was still tar stuck to the oysters, and oh, yeah. I just uh, found that a little challenging to. To send off to people, yes, and um, especially like you know, some people uh, has um, like to unfortunately cook their oysters. Yes, and if you can imagine cooking oysters with a little bit of tar still stuck, then it wasn't the uh, the most op- optimum thing for preparing your food. No, nah, it'd mess with your Kilpatrick's, wouldn't it? <laughs> Jesus, what's that? What's that? <laughs> what's that tar smell, Dale? <laughs> Tarry oysters. Yeah, it's not. Is this? This ain't the castle. That's uh, that's for sure. And um, by happy, uh, the happenstance that um, that uh, came with you changing your ways, and you, we should probably describe what you did to change it. Was that environmentally, um, all the seagrass came back from where you are? Yeah. Well, the, the the old infrastructure had to be housed on post and rail in the water, and. Mm. Well, that shaded the bottom heavily. So what happened was the grasses were depleted from the areas where they would have been naturally prevalent. And um, we found that once we pulled out all of that fixed infrastructure, um, the uh, the seagrasses adapted and came back and now they're flourishing on the bottom, which is absolutely wonderful to see because it's such an amazing habitat for all of the small critters and the, the baby fish and Mm. And also helps, you know, increase the nutrient and the algal growth, which then benefits the oysters because they have a better variety of food and a lot more proliferation of it. So they they hold their condition better, they grow better. So it was a real no-brainer, actually, because we're doing the best for everything by, um, by pulling out all of the old gear and what we've done is replaced the infrastructure with a floating Gear. So it sits on top of the water, and their oysters are in the water all the time, feeding and growing. 
and they move with the tide and the and the wind. So the light is always getting to the to the lake bed, mm. which keeps the keeps the natural grasses flourishing as they are at the moment. And, and free filter, free filter, free filter, because it's the <laughs> life of the oyster. What do you do? I filter and eat, filter and eat. Um, that's my raison d'etre, shall we say. The great thing is, though, that uh, another thing that, uh, you know, made me go, oh, when we talked and we, we were share- not sharing that cigarette again, I say that we didn't do that, uh, but was the fact that your surroundings are pristine and uh, and beautiful and that was one of the things that led to the organic certification as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the the basis of the whole thing is water quality, and um, fortunately at Wappingo, where where we farm, um, it's the highest water quality in the state. And from that, you know, because we're surrounded by national parks, and the the only real industry that is affecting the lake is us oh, in really? cultivating oysters. There, yeah, we're the there's, biggest impact. And there's no so, there's no forestry that happens in there. Not anymore, no, no. It was, oh, awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. The Lucky. national, the state forests were. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of bargy bargy about this in the, back <laughs> in the day. But, I imagine so. Uh, but um, finally, national parks have taken over all of the, all of the state forests that surround the lake. So we're completely encased with national park now. Uh, which locked is, down. Um, fantastic. Because you know we have problems here in uh, in this fair city, the glorious Prague of the South, as I call it, in the fact that there is still uh, logging that is happening in our catchments. But that's for another conversation. Let's. Um, so that's that's your product, and there also I want to touch on um, how's the business going since um, since lockdowns and uh, and COVID. How have you had to adapt? How have you been affected? Yeah, look, it's been it's been a tough road. I mean, it started for us back in December last year when the mm. bushfires began, and oh, we had yes. we had six weeks of intense Hell. fire activity, and you know, five evacuations, and so we've we, we were pretty flat out for a long time, and then mm. which was which was hard because it was a heightened level of you know anticipation and preparedness and. That was pretty taxing, but then mm. uh, following the the, flo- the fires, we had we had some floods which were pretty intense. And, oh God! Yes. Yeah. So then we've had it all. So and, you've, uh, you've had all three riders of the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> and from that, we had a lot of um, burnt material entering the estuaries down here. So oh, we had to go into a high um, monitoring phase for algal blooms yes. because, because of the nutrient load, a lot of phosphorus coming down from the burnt material. So fortunately, nothing nothing eventuated out of that other than gathering a whole lot of great data. And um, then... Yeah, we're we're just about to start back up again. I think we've had three full commercial harvests since July last year, and then COVID hit, and that just knocked everything on the head. Because yeah. my my business, particularly, you know, we we we're our own wholesaler, so we sell direct into restaurants and direct to the public. And yep, um, so seventy five percent of our business was just uh, turned off overnight. And fortunately, the, the the issue with that for us was not that didn't hurt any of the oysters. Was the, the oysters are still there, growing away happily. The problem was typically we would have removed a whole crop 
Yes. Because we carried, carried four years of crop on at one time, and this meant we had a whole crop that we didn't sell. So we've got this problem yeah. where we've got all these younger oysters coming on and the next year's crop coming on, and we just didn't have it, well, not as much room to house them. So it's been a bit of a juggling act, you know, spinning a few plates to try and keep them housed correctly and happy and healthy. And Yes, the, uh, as the teenagers are coming through saying, get out of the way, Grandpa. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. On the room. Yeah. Um, now so we're through it. Good. And um, if this is for this is a call, uh, Melbourne restaurateurs. If you're listening, chefs, um, if you want to uh, get some of these beauties, um, are you able to uh, get your product down here to Melbourne? Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, okay. good. Our logistics are still good. We we use an overnight service to Melbourne, so mm-hmm. we deliver down there every Thursday. All right, Shane. We've got about a couple of minutes left because um, my producer, who must be obeyed, is um, giving me the hand signal for that. Two things <laughs> I want to just quickly touch on. Um, one of the accoutrements people should have in their home kitchens is an oyster knife. Discuss. Absolutely. I mean, the best way to have an oyster is to open it yourself because a lot of the time when you buy an oyster that's already been pre-opened, they've been washed. Oh, so yeah. They've, they've lost all of the flavour and a lot of that meroir is... Um, meroir? No, Look at you go. In, in, the, in the lake water that, yes. we use, that they live in. So that yeah. then adds a lot of the provenance of the oyster. There's different... Different tasting oysters up and down the coast. So you should have an oyster knife. You should learn how to shuck them and do them in your own home. Yes. Um, and um, if you have any uh, advice uh, for people for the type of oyster knife to get, what sort? It varies on each individual person, but I like a broad blade. I like a wide, bright blade with a nice, sharp point mm. because you get through the hinge quite easily and then they, they pop really well. And as you well know, Cam, it's uh, always best to not have them in your palm. It's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lovely yeah, drunken story that. that goes with that, which we don't have time to go into. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I will never forget you going, too much palm. Um, so, and, uh, and as we, uh, as we, we leave the beautiful area of Bermagui that you are in, uh, what are your favorite ways to, uh, to have an oyster? I know obviously with the salt water within and the Merua, but, um, mm-hmm. what flavorings are permissible or do you like? Uh, look, pretty hard to go past a citrus, lime or a lemon. Yep. Um, splash of Tabasco's. Yeah, uh, we normally have them down at the farm during the day. Yep. Um, but yeah, look, citrus really lifts them, especially when they're in the condition that they are at the moment. That they're, they're quite sweet and they've got a high fat content, a good fat content. You want acid? You want some acid? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I'm a I'm a big one for the shallot vinaigrette, where you uh, do a brun. Oh, Matt's doing um, thumbs up. Fine brunoises of shallots. Uh, a good grape vinegar, don't you, skipping girl, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> is is a, a ripper. And you know which I also reckon is valid um, is the Japanese oyster shooter, where you you mix um, uh, a little bit of uh, rice vinegar, uh, mirin, soy, and wasabi, I and pickled ginger. I reckon that's really good. We we had a bar here in Bermagui for a while, and we were doing wasabi soy and pickled ginger. Absolutely fantastic! It rocks. Well, look, we better go. Um, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave you, Shane. I look forward to seeing you sometime, mate. It's um, it's it's been a while, and uh, 
And here's to what you do up there on the coast. Congratulations on your beautiful Sydney Rock oysters from Wappingo Oysters. Look up the website if you want to put an order in. Thanks, guys. Oh, well done. What, one more. Can we? Uh, can mere mortals get them in um, in markets or anything like that? Are you in any markets? No, just through our website. Okay. If you contact me through our website, I can. We can have a chat about how to get them to. You. Beautiful, Shane. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Look forward to seeing you soon. Enjoy. Thanks, guys. Bye. Shane Buckley from Wap and Go. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. You are listening to 3 Triple R. We are now heading off to the Grampians, to uh, Grampians Estate Winery, mm. where we have Sarah Guthrie here. And we offer her a huge good afternoon and thank you for joining us. Oh, good afternoon, Cam. How are you there? Now, just let us know whereabouts in the Grampians are you specifically? Our cellar door is at Great Western, so and it's located right on the Western Highway. So it's on the Ararat side of Great Western, and, just, and it's right on the highway, so you just you can't you can't actually miss it. Yeah, it's just a, a little bit before the town there. Um, traditionally, you have been sheep farmers around the, the place, but also winemakers of uh, some renown. I would. Uh, I'm very intrigued about that sparkling burgundy that you've got that sounds absolutely delicious. Well, it's uh, a perfect accompaniment to the turkey on Christmas Day, but <laughs> we also say perfect to drink any time of yeah. the year. Yeah, just... just, just and certainly it's a celebratory drink. It, it, it is a good one, um, although uh, if you think about drinking it all through Christmas Day, I would say to you, Maybe not a great idea. <laughs> no, it mightn't be, mightn't be quite productive enough for the no. lead-up to Christmas. <laughs> but, we, but we have a range of other wines as well. So we grow, um, we grow most of what we sell and we source um, some other great varieties from a local grower. So we grow the Riesling, Chardonnay and Shiraz at two different vineyards. Yes. And our friend who has a small vineyard over the hill um, he grows Tempranillo and Grenache, and we sell an interesting blend called the GST, which is a <laughs> Grenache, Shiraz, Tempranillo <laughs> blend, Tempranillo. and my husband assures me you get 10% more. Uh, boom. Boom, Tish. <laughs> um, how, does that, um, how does that come out? Because obviously that's a play on the GSM. Uh, Grenache, Shiraz, Mouverde. Mouverde. Yeah, oh, Mouverde. That's a bit easier to say. Um, and um, so that sounds like a very interesting blend. Um, well, it's very. It's proved to be very popular. Yes. Uh, it's a lighter style drinking red, yeah. and I think we might see more of those European red grape varieties in wines in Australia because of. The, the rising the inevitable temperature changes. with climate change, and yeah. they really those vines, those varieties really like they like a bit of heat because uh, they're grown in Italy and Spain. Yeah, and the, and the Portuguese ones as well to have a it, little bit of a look at too. Absolutely. So we um, uh, our production. So we're a boutique winery, and we're producing about two thousand cases a year. So yeah. it's it's a small, smallish type business. We didn't always own the Celador, but the Celador was formerly known as Garden Gully, which a lot of um, people my age 
uh, might remember remember it because it was very well known because of the sparkling Shiraz that they made there. So we bought the old Garden Gully Vineyard with its cellar door. It had been closed for two years mm. and we've developed it since 2004 and it's become our the face of our business, I suppose, because we live half an hour away from our business and we have another vineyard on the farm where we live. So the Silador has provided um, a, a shop front, an outlet, a place to be able to um, send our wholesale orders, have customers to the Silador and provide a wine experience and now we've grown into, well, we really essentially grew out of our space. So over the last two years we've been planning through a feasibility study, consultation with um, architects in Melbourne at their four studios, we have developed our cellar door space so that we have a purpose-built kitchen so we could expand our food offerings to a cafe style, um, a nice bright and breezy sunny overlooking the vineyard room as well as a deck that also looks out over the vineyard and so it's... Um, it's a really nice experience where you feel close to the vineyard and you can look out at where the fruit is grown that you're drinking out of the glass. And you are also in a beautiful um, heritage building that uh, dates back from 1878, I think it is, the big red brick building which looks so beautiful. Well, the building's actually not as old as the vineyard. Ah. So the original buildings that were there are, are all long gone long, long gone, apart from one old um, brick wine tank that you see when you park your car. A brick wine the, tank? Wow. Yeah, but the vineyard is, is a, well, the oldest part of it is its original planting. So yeah. the vines are old. dated from some historical information that uh, my husband Tom was able to source. They are the original 1878 Shiraz vines. Wow. Which have... Um, been released just this week in their own right. So they must you can be buy a bottle of that 1878. They um, must be pretty big and old and gnarly, eh? Oh, very, very. Oh, they must look fantastic. Um, so that's what's um, happening there. Um, Matt and I were talking how much we love that area so much. And, uh, and there's some really, really great things to do. If you love a view, oh, my God come to the Grampians, but uh, in the minute or so, or minute and a half we've got left, I guess I'll, I'll get you to do the, the Julie Andrews and talk about some of your favourite things around the area. Oh, I'd love to do that. Well, I suppose the other thing is, if it's people looking for a wine experience, our Celador Grampians estate is um, very close by to Best's and Sepult, so you can make a nice little triangle wine tasting there yep. and use up, I suppose, if you were having lunch at ours, then you can make a bit of a day of it. Um, but we're half, uh, the Celador is about half an hour away from Halls Gap, and that's the sort of oh, yeah. focal hub point of activities for the Grampians. Um, but I suppose no visit to Halls Gap is complete without taking in Baroka Lookout, um, Mackenzie Falls. Um, Reed's Lookout. Reed's Lookout is, yes. as I'm children, there. we knew it as the jaws of death because <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. that's, that's what it looks like when, yeah. you, when you visit. It juts out over a great sort of chasm in the Grampians there. And the other favourite sort of 
hike that people do is the pinnacle just because it's got such extensive sweeping views of Halls Gap and the valley and Lake Belfield. And I think they're the key things that draw people to Halls Gap, but I think there are traditions where people have visited Halls Gap year after year and so they love going to the Kookaburra restaurant. Um, there's a brewery in the main street now called Paper Scissors Rock. There's a specialty wine store run by Simon Freeman who's got a vast knowledge of wine and so you can do tastings with him and you can purchase um, he's got wines of the world and also he's got every local wine produced in our region wow so there's uh, lots and lots to do great producers around the area and as i was talking to you uh, off air when we uh, got this organized a couple of days ago one of the things to do is to if you can stay overnight and then look up at the stars because the night sky around there is just truly sensational. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having a chat with us. Lovely, Cam. And uh, we do have a great wine and food event every year in Halls Gap. Uh, Generally, it's in May, and we're fingers crossed that it'll go ahead in 2021. We look forward to reading about that. Thank you very, very much, Sarah. Bye-bye. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. If I turn this all the way up, we might be able to hear Duncan Buchanan. Hello. There he is. Hey, what were we all worried about? Yeah, well, as I, as I was doing the, I was doing the cutthroat move, which is the this is uh, this is the full panic mode here on Three Triple R. Did you enjoy your little sting? Did you get to hear? He wouldn't it? have heard it. No, no, I didn't. Oh, uh, we did. I was busy listening to you going, "Hello, Duncan." Hello, Duncan. <laughs> help, help. Uh, Are you there? Thank you. The sh- writing that Schadenfreude special. Thanks very much. Uh, oh, we were we wanted to start this interview off with. Um, so I guess. Uh, What's been happening has affected all those exports of wine that you've been doing. Yeah, well, I don't export a whole stack myself. Like, my own label is relatively small. Actually, it's tiny. Do, so do I you export? I was being facetious, I suppose. Do you export uh, any? No, not at all. I'm lucky enough. That I, the, the amount that I do, I can get rid of on the Mornington Peninsula and Melbourne. That's pretty much it. So it's, I'm seriously tiny. But the, yeah, um, free, free kick again. So who, what are your labels that people can look out for? Oh, amazing. Yeah, uh, come on. Uh, no, no, Prosimo. The, uh, yes. Prosimo, Pinot and Shiraz. That Shiraz that I take in from the Grampians, as it turns out, Cam. And it did take me back. You're chatting with Sarah before. Oh, it's just that is a very, very special part of the world. It's just gorgeous. They've so, got yeah, old vines there, man. They do all over the joint. Like if they've got wines of the 1870s, the best have got some around the 1860s, and you see these things, and it's it's there's something. Something quite humbling about walking past a vine. Like, man, to think about the the things that have happened on a global scale in that you know hundred in their lifetime, yeah. It, yeah, and they've just been sitting there every year producing grapes for you know for people to make into wine. It's just it is. And I was lucky enough; I used to run a vineyard over at Halls Gap. Yes, and um, there were vines there that were you know they were fifty years old, so they were older than me. Yes, and um, it's, there's something to be able to you know grow the fruit and make the make wine off. Uh, vines are older than yourself. They're just great. So it's, yeah, it's all, it's awesome. It's, a, it's just such a lovely region. Again, there was a thing in the paper today about it today. What was and, that? Um, about the Grampians just talking talking it up. How it's such a lovely area. In fact, yes. They reckon that less than ten percent of Melbourneians Melbourneians surveyed knew where it was. 
Uh, what? I was like, wow, really? Yeah, getting, your, getting your car and going for a look, kids, it's special. Yeah, it, it, it really is. I think both Matt and I can uh, attest to that. I love Hall's Gap. Um, yep. If you can, apparently the um, uh, the drives, which is a fancy way of saying the caves of, uh, of Great Western, are an unbelievable thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, if you can get into those to see those. And... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's yeah, there's 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 heaps now. You have um, what did you tell me? You've got a couple rows at Hyde Park that you um, you grow yeah, fruit yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, so I get a, it's a bit of shiraz off there. So it's a massive vineyard, but um, there's a couple a particular section that I really like. I'm just I'm on very good terms with the, uh, the manager there, and he's like, yeah, you can have those two rows. <laughs> it's great. Like, wow. It's such a massive vineyard. And he just goes, no, no, that's all yours. So. It is nice to be Fortunate. able to sort of head, head out. Yeah, exactly. You don't take these things for granted. It's a great relationship, and I really like the booze I can make off there too. And uh, and what characteristics does the terroir and the aspect and all that sort of stuff give to those grapes? Uh, it's just that lovely um, – I remember Gary Mill saying he, he gets sometimes a bit of a, a meaty sort of lamby sort of, um, you know, uh, a profile out of it. Out of it the fruit from out there and uh, just but lovely it is it is still quite cool climate you don't realize you think yeah, western victoria is going to be hot and dry mm. it is hot and dry but it's quite elevated elevated Hall's Gap, yeah Hall's Gap itself is at about 300 meters um which which you wouldn't think but uh it is it is a fairly it is a fairly cool region so you do get that the lovely sort of finer cool climate shiraz you know much more spice and uh, that, that some meatiness like as i said before but there it also depends on what you're going to do in the winery with it i'd like to do a fair bit of a whole bunch so don't mm. separate the berries from the bunches leave them all together which it, you know adds to gives it a bit more tannin but there's you know there's a million ways to skin that particular <laughs> vinous cat yes <laughs> yes, and, yes. And, and just out of to, just to contrast that if we were in a uh, a a hotter region. Um, yeah. What Shirazes get a little bit more jammy and more more fruit. Exactly, can do. And it, but again, it all gets back to ripeness levels too. Yeah. So again, there's, what you, there's what you more. Do? Yeah, and you try. I don't know. I think as winemaker, we try to sort of exp- you know let our the regions express themselves, and that's what that's what I was doing with Prosimo. I want to do. Do the the wines that do well from that particular region? Yeah, so you know Pinot, and I'll be doing a Chardonnay from the Peninsula this year for the first time. Mm. Grand Pinot Shiraz, um, just you know, and I think yeah, letting your letting the fruit sort of speak a bit of the region for or for me, I think is important, and I think a lot of wine winemakers would agree to that too. All right, facetious and, comments uh, notwithstanding. Yep. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the Chinese? As I said, uh, kill the chicken to scare the monkey. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> As we sort of spoke about during the weekend, I think the most disappointing thing for me is there's been a massive opportunity missed for the world's biggest on-sea party. You've got twenty tons. <laughs> you've, got, you've got twenty tons of rock lobster. Twenty tons of rock lobsters in, in one container. There's Henchy Hill of Grace just overflowing on the other side. An ocean of booze, yeah. like just for, you know, in, in containers that they, they can't unload. So it's like strap the ships together, yeah. have yourselves a party, kids. Come they on. missed the opportunity. This could be but like the, the trawler cruise up in the Gulf of Carpentaria when they get together <laughs> with the factory ship and have a big party. Yeah, exactly. But yes. it is it's very concerning. It's a massive muscle yes. flex. There's no two ways about that. Yep. And it does it is. It does put a lot of people on the back foot. And it's you know, 
Sure, there will be spots for this wine to go. There are, it's not the only market on the planet, but it is, it is massive for us on a, on a dollar value. Okay, the volume that goes in there is significant, but the mm. volume of wine going to the UK is much greater. It's almost double. Mm. But the, the dollar value on a per litre basis is really high. Like the, on average, the, the wines that go into the UK, they'll, they'll average about $1.58 per litre. This is just the value of the wine, okay? Yeah, okay. The, the, but the stuff going into China, there's up around $7.50 a litre. Yeah, that, because that, cause they, they weren't looking for yellowtail. They, they, were, they were looking for the premium end to for big face Chinese, and I mean that yes. you know that countenance yeah, yeah. of you know, yeah. not not physically, um, yeah. but to show off to one another, and it was a completely a status thing, is it not? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. I'm not going to say. I wouldn't agree with completely. There's a lot. A very you know. The, yeah. A lot of people are very serious wine collectors, but it is there is a there is a, a certain amount of face that goes on with it. So, mm. yeah, they're just looking through some articles this week. There are um, there'll be more markets opening opening up in places like um, Vietnam and Malaysia, and uh, a lot of other a few other Asian countries. But Indian? again, they're only do Indians uh, drink wine? Yeah, there's more going there, but it's not that massive. It, it's getting bigger. It's a, it's, it's a fairly immature market compared with um compared with the you know, the long term relationships. That we've yeah, had but with, then China like to, China was embryonic too at one stage, and maybe it's yeah it's time for the Australian government to uh, invest in that perhaps. Yeah, Be- I think because you're right. there I is think... a sense very much that I get of putting um, well, it's inevitable, but yeah, putting all your eggs into one basket. Yeah, and, and that's that, what's and happened. That, th- yeah, you make a very good point. In that, you know, if you're if you're div- if you're fairly well diversified across the board, and where you're getting rid of any product, mm. you know, it leaves you less exposed to the whims of any particular market. But, and I think the other thing that's worth consider- worth remembering too, Cam, and it's not just us producers or producers that are going to suffer. Mm. There's guys, there's you know, traders the other end. If you've got a wine distribution company, or you've got a warehousing company, or something like that, and all of a sudden, this you know, these are Chinese people who they have businesses that. Um, rely on a steady stream of you know Australian wine coming into the country too. So they're they're sort of hurting their own people at the same time. It's a fairly it's a it's a fairly brutal move. Oh yeah, but it's it's uh, it masks uh, other motivations, does it not? And especially uh, maintaining that fourteen point uh, letter of demand, which uh, got slid under the door uh, a few weeks ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, but you know, I think the the just talking to various growers around the place. Some, you know, talking to one up in Griffith the other day, and I said, you know, how's it work for you guys? He said, look, it's a, it's a significant amount amount of what we do, mm. but they they're hoping that they can soak it up under in the domestic market. And I'm like, and like, okay, but then if everybody else is doing that, where does it let, where do, where do we stand? And I think bargain bin Grange. Well, that, and that—that that was what I was going to. I was going to wasn't quite going to go that far. Yeah, well, I'm hyperbolizing. Yes. Yeah, great, love it. Yes. The, um, but the yeah, it's going to be good for domestic consumers, I think. Well, and I think, and I think that. But the other and the other side of it goes, but also puts a squeeze on prices. If your market's flooded in mm. any, with, with any one particular thing, it does put a squeeze on prices, which is no good for the producers themselves. But I think I don't know. I think it there's a. There's been a bit of um, backlash globally where people are just saying buy Australian wine, you know, just give them a hand. Don't don't let them be bullied, you know. Let's um let's buy Australian wine. And certainly, listeners, if you're putting something on the table this Christmas and it's not far away, be as parochial, parochial as you can. As nice, you, you know. 
Yeah. The basic the basic run for Christmas Day for me and my family. It's and this is very simply put: it's fizzy, then white, then pink, then red, then fortified, and you can do incredibly well across the board on all of those mm, without, without leaving without leaving Australia, without even leaving Victoria. The Christmas I mean, portfolio is looking strong. <laughs> exactly. Ah. So remember that, kids. It's very easy: fizzy, white, pink. Red and fortified, happy days, right? They need to drink, and not, I'm not saying drink a great deal. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so the whole run. Is, it's know, not the quantity, it's the quality in your glass, is it not? That, that's exactly right, Cam. And not, you know, I've been known to maybe indulge a little too much every now and again, quite by accident. Yes. Maybe at Christmas. Yes. <laughs> well, but, um, you, can, you can do very well across the board from Australia. So, yeah, well, you know, we'll, st- we'll stick with our own stuff this year, I think. Good, buddy. Well, um, I hope you're going to join us uh, during summer at the old uh, the Eat It Beach Shack, which will be uh, starting off very shortly. Yeah, for sure. Are we allowed in there yet? Can I bring up fizzy wine? Could be. We can celebrate Christmas. Let us know. See us we'll do. open those doors. I'm going to knock with my elbows, as they say. See you, buddy. Good on you, mate. Bye. Bye. There we go. It's all done. We're going to pull that down and we're going to get out of here. Thank you very, very much. See you next week. Thanks, Cam. See you soon. Hi, this is Cam Smith and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 